0: Some of these small producers are just absolutely incredible and like they're doing an amazing job to get the, the production out of there the way that they do. There's probably um, too many to mention really. I was, I just, it just makes me think how
1: lucky we are. This is The Crackling, I'm Anthony Huckstep. There are many that carve out incredible careers in the hospitality sector. But few have an ability to reimagine food and carve a new path for Australian cuisine. Brent Savage had humble beginnings, but his fascination in cooking methods and a natural creative flair have taken many guests to new, uncharted places on the plate. Brent, how are you? Good, thanks Anthony. How are you? Good. It's been a while since we've caught up, but... um, You've continued to push the envelope and um, take Australian cuisine down a new path. How, how's things going at the moment? Oh, look, it's pretty amazing at the moment, I must say.
0: I'm feeling really positive about what what's the last sort of six months and, and – Going forward, I think there's a, a lot to look forward to, and I feel like you know everyone's coming out of, on the other side of COVID now, and it's it's less of a part of a conversation. That that said, obviously there's a there's a little bit of COVID going around right now, but um, hopefully we we're we're prepared to deal with it, you know. So it's um yeah, but th- um things are things are good. The restaurants are super busy, and um
1: yeah, sort of loving life at the moment. It, The group sort of all started with the famous Bentley in in Surrey Hills on the the corner there in the former pub, but now you've got four incredible restaurants all doing different things. Uh, Tell us a little bit about them and why they're so different.
0: Yeah, look, I think they have their own identity. I think that that was something that we really wanted to focus on, and um, and I guess um, it's uh, to, I, I guess just briefly, you know, obviously Bentley's our fine dining and and wants to offer a really refined experience when when guests are there, and then. Um, Cirrus down on the water was it was sort of a no-brainer that we would focus on seafood next to the water in sydney so that, that was a really um really obvious thing to do and um monopole which we we class as our wine bar but it's part bistro part wine bar and um and yeah so it was really a wine focused restaurant um from the get-go and it, it continually evolves um and then we also um sort of at yellow it started out as a little bistro um and then we around 2000 and Late 2016, we changed over to a plant-based restaurant being vegetarian and then we, we've we taken it a step further, you know, uh, and gone 100% vegan. So, it really has its own identity as well. So, um, yeah, look, they all focus on different things, I guess. But Bentley is, is the place where um, the creativity happens and that we have, you know, we have those – Base recipes, which then filter out into the in, into the other restaurants, which is really um, is the way that I see things. I guess is that everything sort of begun with Bentley, and and sort of yeah, it's sort of the, the definitely the the jewel in the crown, if you like.
1: The arc of Bentley is quite fascinating. I mean, the energy and excitement around it when it first opened, and it was kind of quite grungy, but the, the food was incredibly groundbreaking and pushing the envelope. And, and now Bentley today is such a, a refined and amazing dining experience. Take us through that arc and the changes that you've implemented within the Bentley sort of brand.
0: Absolutely, like um, yeah. So Bentley, like you said, it didn't it didn't start out as a fine diner. It was actually the opposite. It was um, highly highly accessible, but really um, concentrating on what we were delivering as far as the food goes. But we wanted it to be a creative space, and we were willing to um, you know um, try new techniques and be. We wanted to be at the forefront of um, you know being using using modern modern cooking methods and techniques to create something unique for um
1: for for ourselves but also for sydney where did that start for you i know um your career started in the mountains but that that sort of push into sort of those newer techniques and um sort of playing with people's perceptions of with food where did, where did that come from
0: yeah it was a it was a it was an interesting um journey for me because uh, we i basically started in a place where where we had no modern equipment at all in fact it was a it was a baker's oven which uh, which we centered the whole restaurant around um that was that was a vulcans in in blackheath and and so we we didn't even have a thermometer so (laughs) we would put our hand in we would put our hand in the fire next to the fire to find out how hot it was you know that was that was quite a normal thing to <laughs> is or put our head in the oven and, and you know it was all done by touch and feel, and um, I guess that was where it sort of made me a really intuitive cook because i i had I had to use my senses to uh, understand the processes, and I guess coming out of that um, after you know I spent three or four years there, and then coming out of that. I um, sort of felt that I, there was a lot missing out of my repertoire, so I wanted to sort of learn, go and relearn the basics, I guess, and do and and sort of learn French cuisine. So I went and worked for Mark Best at Mark Restaurant, and um, I was I was a very it was a very fortunate time in my career where he was also. You know, Mark Restaurant was brand new, and he was really founded in those French techniques and and doing the classics well. Um, but as that restaurant evolved, um, so did the techniques that came out. Um, And then, obviously, there was this famous restaurant, El Bully, um, and that had a huge influence on um, what – the. I think it had a huge influence on the whole world, obviously, but um, for me personally, it was about um, the techniques that they were using and the precision that they were cooking with. And, yeah, it really, um, you know, really got me curious as to um, how far you could push, you know, restaurants – food, the whole the whole technique um driven side of things. And um yeah, so really threw myself at it and um managed to travel around and and um eat in some amazing restaurants throughout throughout Spain um and eventually went and visited a El- Bulli, bully, which I just found really, really inspiring. Not that I not that you could ever achieve what a, a bully was achieving um in a you know, in a small 50 seat restaurant in sydney anyway like um you know it was a beast of a, a restaurant and yeah but but the inspiration was definitely there and sort of brought back um a few of these techniques and and sort of mix them in our repertoire and that was a that was a lot of fun um we worked um you know we worked quite hard at it and wanted to never wanted it to be Naf. we always wanted to have for these dishes to have integrity and um balance i think balance is a really important part of cooking and um you know that was the basis of everything you know on the palate everything sweet sour salty and and um texture wise was um really really important element into what we did uh at bentley and still is today
1: do you have any stories of sort of the trials and errors of those early days when you were sort of bringing in those techniques and really pushing the envelope? Um, oh look, yeah, there was plenty of uh, plenty of horror stories,
0: <laughs> but none none that spring to mind that it, that, it, that stick there. But yeah, there was plenty of um, you know plenty of fuck ups along the way. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, As you were pushing the envelope, were there any pork dishes of that sort of? era of bentley that you remember that you can tell us about
0: yeah look one of the one of the things that we um one of the first dishes that we ever put on the menu at bentley uh, was on the opening menu for bentley was a um it was a pork cheek and we cooked the pork cheek uh, um really slowly um poached in milk and then we and then we would caramelize it in a pan and serve it with uh prawn so um, pork always has it. It's a really versatile product and it um, has the ability to carry other flavors really well or or uh, mask in some cases or blend. Um, uh, they, yeah, so it's it. So we used to obviously pork belly and scallop is a, a very famous combination goes back to China you know into Chinese cuisine and whatever but but for us um, yeah the pork and prawn with an orange glaze was um, was a really uh, well received dish and uh, got a lot of acclaim for it as well.
1: Over the years, you've done all sorts of things with pork. Are there any sort of dishes or cuts that you've sort of honed in on that you can sort of tell us about?
0: Yeah, look, I, look, I love working with, um, you know, I just mentioned pork cheeks, but I absolutely love working with pork cheek. We we have done it, um, you know, continuously over the last twenty years, um, or seventeen years, or how, uh, you know, and it's been um, it's been a staple on most of the menus uh, throughout that time, and we it, it just um, works so well when you slow cook it. You know, so um, you, they are a lot of work to begin with. Obviously, they they're covered in they're covered in fat and whatever. But that meat that's in between the fat is um, probably some of the best eating, um, in my opinion. But some of the best eating meat that you could ever ever come across. Um, but look, um, the other dish that we used to do and featured a lot on our menus over the years is you know blood pudding. We would make our own blood pudding. And, um, obviously it's got a lot of pork fat folded through it and, um, pig's blood. And it's, it's a, um, again, it's one of those, it's one of those, um, ingredients, one of those things that you can use to, um, again, carry other, other flavors, you know? So one of the, I mean, going further back than Bentley, when we were, when I was (coughs) working, working at Moog, we would do, um, blood pudding with calamari Uh, I remember had like a tomato glaze and and a chili like a chili oil Uh, it was super delicious another dish that was um, that was really well received and yeah it was it was nice to get people thinking about um, blood pudding differently
1: than than you know you know than a breakfast item I guess I remember many years ago there was a there was a dinner sort of paying homage to pork and the, something that stood out that I've never forgotten was a bacon ice cream that you created. Um, tell us about coming up with that and making that work. What did you do?
0: Yeah, look, that was um, that was a bit crazy even for <laughs> even by our standards. <laughs> um, no, but you know, obviously Heston was the first one to do. We might, in my mind, to do. Um, Baking ice cream, and uh, it wasn't nothing. So it, I can't take claim to the original idea, but um, the dish itself was was a lot of fun. You know, we did we did it with a um, like a toasted brioche and made it like a breakfast dish. And at that time, those techniques of um, using using. You know, we used me- methyl cellulose to um, make it. made a custard, and warmed it up with methyl cellulose to make it look like scrambled eggs. So they were passion fruit um, scrambled eggs on on uh, brioche, and then we served the bacon ice cream with it. And it was it was quite interesting and super delicious, but it was a lot of fun, you know. So.
1: How do you make bacon ice cream?
0: Yeah, so we infuse the milk with the smoked bacon and, um, yeah, you know, so um, same method,
1: custard, custard-based ice cream, but just infusing the milk with the with the bacon. You mentioned uh, Monopole being um, very wine-centric, but it was also the, the grounds for you to explore charcuterie and your, your own sort of charcuterie. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, look, uh, and and pork was the, the
0: the big feature, you know. Obviously, um, loved making copper or the from the pork neck. So, um, yeah, I guess the, the surprising thing when you first get start making charcuterie and um, you don't realize what a big um, a big part the freshness of the pork to begin with is. Everyone thinks because it's a salted pro- product that you just you you grab any any old pork and you you stick it in there but um there's a lot to be said for for when you how you how that piece of pork's been treated prior to you getting it and when when we received it we'd always always sort of push for the kill to be you know within 48 hours of yeah of actually receiving you know so um the fresher the pork the longer lasting the charcuterie in my opinion, you know, like all the, the the fresher tasting the charcuterie would be, you know. And when I talk about freshness, obviously not not on the – I'm talking about freshness on the palate as opposed to freshness. You know, obviously it's a dried product. So, um, it's it, – it, it, Sort of, it, it it isn't fresh, but at the same time, the the actual flavors that you get from the charcuterie, I find, um, is better to the the fresher the product, the better the charcuterie.
1: What are some of your favourite uh, charcuterie that you've made over the years?
0: Again, the probably you
1: know like that Lardo
0: um, style, um, you know, just straight up pork back fat. I think, yeah, it's incredible. And also, you know, using the cheeks again because they're so full of fat and that meat is just amazing in in the middle. um, Curing that is is awesome. Um, But, yeah, like I said, the necks, if you can get a really marbled piece of neck and um, salt that down and then obviously spice it, rub it, and it's incredible. Absolutely incredible, but yeah, look, I, I really love that journey going through and sort of, you know, exploring. You know, everyone's sort of now, probably more than ever, you know, going through a phase where miso and ferment and all that sort of stuff is really, really high on high on the agenda, and it's a thing that features on a lot of high end restaurant um, menus. But um, some of those old school techniques that have been around forever are just irreplaceable you know
1: you mentioned um needing the the pig to be killed within 48 hours to get the best product with the charcuterie um what's do you have any stories of the connections that you've made with pig farmers over the years yeah look i um i've been very fortunate um we have we obviously our chain of
0: supply has varied you know um, we often we often um, always pretty much use fix for our, for our, um, pork supply, but the relationships beyond that is, is really, um, really special, you know, like the guys down at, uh, Redley Farm, they do an amazing job in the Southern Highlands and, you know, also the, you know, Toluca Park pork is some of my favorite pork in, in Australia, I would say, um, and um, you know, going back, I guess, 15 years when we first discovered Berkshire coming through Kuribiru, you know, the Curabirda pork heritage breed, it was um, it was um, it was an amazing piece of produce to come across and start working with. You know, just the um, just that marbling that you don't see in. Your standard in your standard pork production, um, and I'm not talking about fat content because obviously pork's always fatty, but I'm talking about the actual marbling going through the meat. Um, I had never really seen anything like it, I guess. Um, yeah, the only compare the only thing that I could really compare it to was the Iberica pork, which, um, which is, yeah, in, in, uh, Which is a Spanish pork, but, but yeah, I find, I find Curabit a pretty amazing product still to this day. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was other people that were on the, on that trajectory, um, prior, you know, and not necessarily for, um, its, its, fat marbling or the the style of pork but even i think about um golden plains pork which is um coming out of victoria i think they call it western plains pork now um there's a farm there and when you know dating back going way back to when i was living in melbourne um some of some of the pork that we were getting there was just absolutely incredible and it, they were they were keeping it young, um, so killing it when it was at a, at a. Um, I think I think they were doing about twenty kilo pigs or something, and they were just um, it was just an insane product, you know. So um, yeah, there's there's so many amazing producers out there in Australia, and you know the guys at um, Borrodaile as well, like they're doing an amazing job to get the, the production out of there the way that they do. Yeah. So there's there's probably um too many to mention really I was when I when I was invited to come on I was thinking shit like how many <laughs> how many poor producers can you mention but like yeah you know really it got my um it got really got my um I had to put my thinking cap on for a second but we it just makes me think how lucky we are
1: these days you're um got four incredible award winning establishments um, and your role has changed quite a lot. Um, tell us about your role. How, how do you work with the different chefs, and and how hands on are you with the four restaurants?
0: Yeah, look, um, it's it's a it, it's a really interesting um, position that I've got myself into. Um, I. I love being part of the process still um and um, but i also love watching people grow and um being part of more of a mentor to the to the guys than anything else and um at the end of the day we still have tastings and if if it doesn't if it doesn't fit into our if it doesn't fit into our ethos or the dish doesn't doesn't feel right for that particular restaurant it will it won't make it onto the menu but that's that's not to say that you know we'd ever stop anyone trying to get dishes on. You know what I mean. So it, it's a, it's all about um, you know uh, making sure that we're all thinking about the restaurant in the same way. You know, so um, that's really what I'm I'm sort of training these guys. Well, it's hard to say training, but you know these guys are, are, are great cooks in their own right. They don't need me to tell them that. You know, but at the same time. Uh, the restaurant's still uh, nick and eyes, and we we have we like them to um, work within the, the the boundaries of the restaurant. I guess you know. So um, yeah, look, we're blessed with excellent head chefs. You know, down at Sirius we've got Chris Beneday, who's who's an incredible incredible cook. You know, um, we've just at Monopole, we've just taken um, Freddie Volomont and he's um, he's amazing. And uh, yeah. And uh, over we were talking earlier, Anthony, about um Xander Nooch who who came from Key Restaurant and he's running he's running um uh, yellow for us and he's just like the perfect the perfect chef for yellow, you know. So I'm I'm very, very lucky and Bentley Bentley um has always been a combination of myself and um for you know, for the last ten years, and with Aidan Stevens, who um, is a is a collaborator on that menu, and um, and then we have a head chef there called Nathan uh, Nathaniel Merchant, and he he's um, he's done some amazing things for himself, and um, continues to to work you know do
1: incredible things for us. You mentioned some pork dishes uh, early on. in your career. How does it feature now at at somewhere like Bentley?
0: Yeah, so um, <clears throat> it's interesting because one of my favorite cuts is a is a pork neck, and you know um, we we're probably marinating. So we're at the moment we're marinating um, pork neck in like a a chickpea miso and letting that marinate overnight, and then we um, slow smoke it and slow cook it, and then we um, grill it over some charcoal and um yeah so i serve it with some fermented cabbage and like a green chili a, a green chili juice which is really it's a really interesting and delicate dish believe it or not it sounded very very powerful flavors there and stuff but like um it's actually becomes a really really delicate um but high in umami uh, sort of dish and you know over at monopole currently we're serving a um, pork chop which is kind of old you know quite old school but then we we also have the you know we serve it with some salted apple and um you know re- it's actually a really light dish so you know a salted apple chives and a bit of lemon and um a little cider sauce which is which is really cool and um yeah so uh, i mean at at um at Sirius, we often, uh, even though we're a, a seafood-based restaurant, there we still we still serve. Um, you know, it could be it could be pork belly, or we we might do um, a loin of pork there, or something like that. So we're always always featuring somewhere in the in those three restaurants. Obviously, it doesn't go so da- down so well at Yellow. You know, they, they, it's less well
1: received. <laughs> I know that uh, different cuts require different cooking techniques, but what's what's sort of important to you when cooking pork? What's what's the sort of important steps to get to get it right?
0: Yeah, look, I, I think um, pork pork generally um, has a slow feel to it, so if we can if you can cook it slowly, um, I feel like you get the best outcomes because you want to be give it time to break down those all that fat, you know, like and um, and. Yeah, take your time. Um, Yeah, I guess the loin is one of those cuts where you have to be careful because if if you go too slow on it, it will dry out. But other than the loin, all those other bits um, uh, all – conducive to cooking, cooking long and slow, I think, is the way to go. And one of my favourite things to do with uh, pork, you know, um, is an old Italian technique and um, and that's to cook it in milk, you know, milk, garlic, bay leaf, peppercorns, you know, and slowly braise it. So whether you're doing it on the stovetop or you're doing it in the oven, you know, you just um, salt the salt the pork first, let rinse it, Drop it into a drop it into a pot or or into a pan where, that you're going to put into the oven. Cover it with milk. Let it slowly. Put the bay, lots of bay leaf, lots of peppercorn, lots of thyme, and and let that cook. And it, it just comes out in, incredible. Whether that be the belly or the neck or the cheek or whatever you want to do with it. Like
1: I think that is um that is a a, a great easy way to prepare it. The last couple of years have been pretty challenging, but as you said at the top of the show, things are looking really positive as we we push forward. Um, What should we expect for the next sort of couple of years from you guys? Yeah, look,
0: (laughs) um, it's too too early to tell, but, like, you know, we are are looking – Probably to grow a little bit. Still, um, we still feel like we've got more to give. And um, like we were talking about earlier, um, it's a it's a real privilege to be able to nurture talent in our industry and be, um, be part of the the next generation coming through and doing the, the, who are going to go out there and do really special things. So we really enjoy the process of the, of helping others as well. And um, yeah, so and part of that part of that is. Um, it's It's not all about others others or we are obviously grow during that process you know so um we feel like it um it's, yeah it's a bit of a collaboration to give opportunity and and of and also go out there and um you know do something new and do something different for 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 us and for for everybody that's um supporting us.
1: You're incredibly humble for a chef that uh, made such an impact and will continue for many years to make an impact on the culinary landscape. What do you love about what you do? Um look, uh, yeah, look <laughs> that's a bit that's a good question um uh, but
0: uh, <laughs> one that puts me on the spot a little bit but yeah, look I I think I love um I've I've loved being part of our industry. I think it's been um I think we um you know privileged in to get to do something that you love every day i know a lot of people go out there and have to work in an environment that they're not so happy in whereas uh, our, our environments are ever, ever changing and always um, always full of opportunity and opportunity to travel opportunity to to grow personally and you know so i i feel like they're the things that i that i that i've taken away a lot um and the people that we meet you know they you know i feel like i uh, feel inspired by um you know everybody that either works for us or you know the producers that that are out there doing amazing things so that we can do amazing things you know so there's so there's so many high highs to it all and yeah but probably working with producers is a big one for me I, i really like getting out there and um seeing what the what people are the effort and the how hard people are working at that um yeah
1: that's humbling you know that's humbling in itself yeah Well, Brent, it's an absolute honour to have you on The Crackling today to hear just a little bit of your story. Um, Good luck with the next uh, couple of years and uh, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thanks, Anthony. That's amazing. Thanks so much. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstars. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.